It's now time for Let's Talk with Smitty on WSBS and on the free WSBS app. Good morning, everybody. This is Smitty, and welcome to another edition of Let's Talk with Smitty. we got a great show today. Uh, a, a dear friend of mine, a state legislator, state representative from Acton, Massachusetts, and a colleague, Tammy Gouveia, is here with me. Can you hear me okay, Tammy? Yes, I can hear you. Thank you so much, Smitty. How are you? Uh, very good. How you been doing? And um, welcome aboard, and welcome to the Berkshires. Um, I, well, I wanted thank to you. just introduce you uh, to uh, our listening audience and uh, tell us why you're running for lieutenant governor. Yeah, well, first and foremost, it's great to hear your voice. It's great to uh, be on your show and to have this opportunity to connect a little bit. I'm running for lieutenant governor because I believe that uh, we can get a lot more from the corner office than what we've get, been getting. And I really believe that uh, there's a desperate attention required to health, well-being, and dignity. So that's why I'm in this race. It's why I got in uh, back in June of uh, 2021 before we knew uh, what uh, Governor Baker and Lieutenant Governor Polito were doing because it was just so important to me uh, to hop in early and to crisscross the state and to share with folks why it's important to put health, well-being, and dignity at the heart of decision-making. Now, now you're you're a public health uh, champion. You you have a you have a doctorate. Congratulations! That was, that was recently, was it not? A doctor of public health in the last year or yes. so. So, what, yes. what perfect timing with uh, we're coming out of this uh, pandemic? But what have you seen from your professional experience on what we probably all could have done better politically? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, it's really challenging, uh, just given the national tenor and the ways that. Um, under the Trump administration, how we started to uh, respond to the global pandemic, you know, just the underinvestment and pulling um, a lot of things that would have helped us through uh, COVID-19. And then, you know, at the state level, what I've observed is just how often we really um, made decisions that made it easy for bureaucracy to, you know, try to put out uh, the vaccine or testing and really a privatized response rather than um, a response that focused on public health. And so I believe that, you know, Massachusetts, the residents here are, are smart, are educated, are paying attention, believe in science. And so we fared better than we might have otherwise um, under this administration, just given um, how, uh, you know, how much our population really does care and does pay attention to uh, the science and is really um, trying to do all that they can to protect themselves and protect their families and protect their communities. But I believe that we deserved more um, out of the corner office when it came to vaccine access and testing access specifically. We're here with uh, State Representative Tammy Gouveia. She's a candidate for lieutenant governor, um, and I welcome her to the Berkshires anytime. Um, but, I, you know, what, you know, you're, a, you're an organizer, you're a mother, you're a public mm-hmm. health champion. Uh, and you believe in the power of people coming together for the greater good. But what drew you to service? I mean, there's service, and then I say there's public service. Mm. You and I chose the elected public service route, but what was the draw for you that uh, felt that was a good avenue to make a difference? Yeah, it really goes back to um, my childhood growing up in the city of Lowell um, and really seeing a lot of uh, families around me who suffered with intergenerational poverty and trying to get through the day. I had friends growing up who didn't have heat or hot water in the wintertime. I was lucky. My grandfather had been in the Carpenters Union, so that put my family on um, pretty solid economic footing. We had a two-family. We rented out the upstairs apartment to stretch wages. 
Um, and that allowed us and my family to weather economic storms of the 70s and the 80s. Uh, you know, Lowell is not much uh, different from a lot of communities in Western Mass and in the Berkshires that have, you know, really suffered from uh, recession and not gotten back on um, their feet. And Lowell had had a very similar experience, even though it's an urban environment and a gateway city. Uh, there are some similarities in terms of how our state and Beacon Hill has, you know, oftentimes left folks behind. And so I saw that growing up in Lowell, and that's what inspired me to want to go into public service. It's why I've been a public health social worker for the last 25 years. Now, let's talk about some of your priority issues uh, that you're running on. If, you, if, if you're elected uh, lieutenant governor, um, what, are, what are some of those conversations? You know, we talked about your public health, but the opioid crisis, you and I have worked on the opioid crisis situation, but what are some of those key issues that uh, you want people to understand from the Berkshires to Boston why uh, you're the best candidate? Yeah, and I thank you for your leadership on the opioid crisis. Um, attention to mental health is one of the top issues. Um, as well as housing. You know, we talk a lot about the lack of affordability of housing. I think we're just starting to really scratch the surface of what the key issues, like what the root causes of the housing crisis really are, because we know, including in the Berkshires, that there are houses that are available, but they're being held up by maybe private investors um, who are holding on to them and using them for short-term rentals. So, I know that's been a conversation in Great Barrington specifically. It's also something that comes up um, on the Cape and in uh, the Cape Ann area on the North Shore. Um, mental health is huge. I fear that if we don't um, make the investments in our mental health care uh, system that we really need, that we have the potential to we really risk losing a generation because of the trauma um, imposed by COVID-19, because of the fears around uh, the climate crisis, because of the rising cost of housing and education, our young people, particularly our older teens and young adults, um, they're really looking at the world through a very different set of eyes uh, than a lot of the adults around them. And so I think it's really critical that we invest in our mental health care system for our parents, for our young people, um, to make sure that we are doing all that we can really to get our economy back on track. But we have to invest in our people in order to get the economy back on track. And that has to include, um, you know, addressing any of the mental health concerns that have arisen over the last couple of years. I think, that, you know, the mental health, I, I agree 100 percent with you. It's infected everybody, but with a particular focus on the younger people. My, my niece graduated high school a year ago uh, last June, mm. and she missed a lot of her junior year because of COVID. Most of her senior year, uh, she chose to uh, uh, go to school remotely. And upon graduation, she said to me, Smitty says, we're going to be the dumbest generation. Now, it was kind of a tongue-in-cheek. She's a very smart, disciplined young lady in college now. But how do we measure that mental health impact on this young generation? Not being in school, not having extracurricular activity, whether it be sports or theater or whatever, that social interaction that everybody needs, but especially at a young age, how can we try to put a particular focus on the young people? Yeah, it's a really great question. I think it's hard to try to figure out how to measure it, I think in part because um, some of the coping mechanisms that, you know, families might have uh, adopted through COVID-19 just to get through the day. Um, we're not going to see the full effect of those for a couple more years, I don't think. You know, when you think about um, rising use of substances in particular 
And uh, there was just a report that came out that indicated that, you know, half of, half of students have reported that they've had, you know, some sort of emotional trauma related to uh, COVID and to being at home, just like what your niece, uh, you know, your niece's experience. I also have a 17-year-old and a 20-year-old, so I've seen this as, as a mother, you know, the impacts on even within my own family um, and what comes up as uh, depression and stress and anxiety about the world that our young people are uh, supposed to be launched into. So I think it's hard to measure, and I think we just need to assume that it is that it's even worse than we think it is and just, you know, make sure we are um, investing in the workforce. We were already far short of the social workers um, and behavioral health specialists that we needed to meet the needs before COVID hit. We know COVID has really made it a lot more challenging for our young people and for our working parents. Um, and so we just need to, in the on Beacon Hill, make those huge investments, uh, use the dollars that we have in our state um, to support young people who want to go into social work, who want to be therapists, um, to be able to do that without saddling them with, with debt. Because what I hear from young people is that they would love to go and be a social worker or a teacher, but it just simply doesn't, um, the cost benefit for them is, is really hard for them to contend with because of how expensive higher education is. And so I think we have to make, continue to make those investments. We've started uh, to make those investments in the legislature and on Beacon Hill, and I think there's, there's a lot more for us to do. And to make sure also, I think this is so important, um, that the access is local, that you don't have to travel an hour or 45 minutes to go, you know, get some help, that you can do it uh, more locally and that we are uh, providing transportation for folks to be able to get access to the services that they need. Very well said. I agree 100%. We're here with uh, Representative Tammy Gouveia. She's a candidate for lieutenant governor. Uh, you've been crisscrossing the state, um, and I've told uh, people before that on the map, the state doesn't look very big until you start driving from one end to the other. But as you crisscross the state, are there any common themes or concerns that the people have from the Berkshires to Cape Cod and everywhere in between that they have for the next uh, lieutenant governor, the next administration? Yeah, I mean, it's about being present, right, and making sure that uh, I know folks in, in the western part of the state as well as on the south shore oftentimes feel uh, left floating in the wind, don't always feel as much of a strong connection to the corner office or to Beacon Hill. So that's first and foremost for me. It's why I got in this race as early as I did, and I started in Western Mass, visiting folks in Western Mass. Um, so that's, I think that comes top of mind. And then again, it's it's about housing, it's about mental health, and it's about the climate crisis and making sure that we are addressing those three issues. I think we also have to see where are we with the pandemic, um, you know, depending on how we're doing with uh, vaccinations or variants. Um, it sort of ebbs and flows if that um, comes top of mind for folks. Uh, but really housing, mental health, and, and making sure that uh whoever ends up in the corner office is really present in, in the western part of the state as well. I want to, want to touch on housing a, a little bit, Tammy. The uh, housing in the Berkshires is really getting crazy. I mean, uh, this pandemic, yeah. uh, we have houses turning into bidding wars, uh, houses that are on the market for 12 hours, and they have five bidders. It's just unbelievable what's going on. So when we talk about 
Um, I, I personally don't like that phrase affordable housing. I like housing affordability. Mm-hmm. Um, but how do we how do we change the narrative and provide people opportunities to have safe, clean, affordable housing? And I say that from the standpoint that I personally don't think that we in state government spend enough time on home ownership. We keep building mm-hmm. uh, affordable housing units, but some of the rents out here, even in, in the affordable housing project, $2,500 a month. Why can't we spend more time and more state resources on providing people with down payments, uh, becoming first-time homebuyers, helping families build wealth and equity, and breaking that generational cycle of poverty? How can we kind of change that narrative when it comes to housing? Yeah, I think you're reading my um, housing policy plan that's coming up okay. soon. But <laughs> one of the things that I am focused on is, um, is um, you know, being able to get, you know, support folks and getting into home ownership with expanding um, home, home ownership programs and more support for the down payments. I think the other thing that's also important is to make sure that um, as we move more people into home ownership, that we're also creating programs to support if, like, there is a financial problem that happens in the family um, and then the, you know, the hot, weed, hot water heater goes that, uh, you know, we're not putting people's livelihoods at risk. Um, because they can't afford to maintain the property that they're able to purchase. So I think there is a both-and approach that's needed. Uh, Your point around, you know, the kinds of housing that we're building and that it's not just about um, making sure that there's affordable housing, but it's affordability. And I focus a lot on humane housing. So I've seen housing, I've lived in housing myself, that is not the most humane. Um, And because oftentimes low-income Families and families that are uh, living on the brink of financial disaster make trade-offs, and they make choices, and they, they oftentimes, those choices are not really choices. They're false choices, and people end up uh, living in housing that is, uh, you know, unsafe or unhealthy. Um, maybe it has mold. Maybe it has broken stairs or broken windows, but it's affordable. It's what the person can afford, and, you know, I've lived through this as a single mom for the last 14 years. I'm in a much different place over the last year, I have to say, um, and really grateful for that. But, you know, about, I would say, 12 years ago, um, the only housing that I could afford uh, was not safe and was not healthy housing for myself and my two kids. But it was literally all that I could afford at the time. And so I think there is a need for focusing on that uh, in the legislature and just really understanding how much uh, working families are really um, struggling to get through the day, to keep a roof over their head, to put food on their table, to, you know, put gas in their car and get from point A to point B. As we as we shift away from hopefully out of this pandemic, but it'll probably be an endemic, I and mean, it's not going to go away. But hopefully, we get out of this pandemic. Yeah. You know, I think we've learned an awful lot. Um, you know, the ability to even you and I legislatively be able to work remotely, businesses working remotely, and I, I just wonder about the economy. Is um, you know, as big businesses have to reevaluate the bricks and mortar with that remote access. You know, are there opportunities economically? If you drive up and down the Berkshires, you see job wanted, help wanted signs everywhere you go. And I'm sure it's the same in your district as well. But having a job is the greatest social program we can have. But finding housing affordability on top of a job provides that stability in the region. So how do we, as we get out of this pandemic, how does the economy look and what will be some of the priorities that you will bring uh, to the corner office? 
Yeah, well, again, I think it goes back a little bit to the mental health piece and, of course, education, which we haven't touched on yet, and, um, you know, making sure that those investments continue um, because workers or, you know, our economy um, needs people, and we need people to be healthy and well in order for them to show up, to do their job, to be productive, uh, to support our local businesses, whether you're talking about a small business or you're talking about a, a larger corporation. And so I think it's really, we're at this point right now where we have an opportunity to make some of those major investments. And we, you know, we did that with the Student Opportunity Act that we passed last session, I think, making sure that we are living up to the promises that we made uh, to make those investments, making sure that we are supporting the transportation, particularly for our regional schools. I have a reg- I have two regional school districts in, in the district that I represent in the 14th Middlesex. Um, so making sure that we are supporting our schools in, in the ways that we have said that we would, I think, is, is really critical for the long-term um, sustainability and success of our economy. But what we need right now is relief for our small businesses in particular. And one of the things that I hear um, across the state is it's not only about the, the lack of housing affordability, but it's also impacting the kinds of um, stores and restaurants that can, um, you know, afford rents in our downtown retail spaces. And that changes and seems to already be having an effect on um, the kinds of stores that are are located in our downtowns, whether or not the people in that town can afford to go to those stores and those restaurants, or are they catered more to um, tourists or second homeowners. Um, So there's a, a fabric of our of our social connection and our community that also seems to be um, in the midst of major changes that I I think are really important for us to also be paying attention to um, on Beacon Hill and, you know, in partnership with our municipal leaders, our local government leaders uh, to support keeping, uh, you know, just what is so great about our Massachusetts town, um, keeping that, that vibrancy and keeping that, uh, that feel of, you know, you know you're in, Ma- you know you're in a small Massachusetts town um, by a lot of the stores and the, and the shops and, and, and the housing that's there and making sure that we are retaining that because that is part of the big draw to our state as well. We're here with uh, Tammy Gouveia. She's a state representative from Acton, Massachusetts, and a candidate for lieutenant governor. I think she were the first person to announce for lieutenant governor, if memory serves me right. But one, one question I, I ask all my guests, um, if you could give uh, one piece of advice to your younger self, what would it be? Hmm. That's a hard question, I know. I think about it every time that I ask is, it. <laughs> that is a hard question. Um I think it would be um, to really work hard to maintain relationships. Um, I'm finding just um, how wonderful it is to get to know folks all across the state, and I count uh, many folks among my dearest friends now um, because we've been on the phone and, uh, you know, in-person building relationship and getting, you know, me getting to know what the issues really are. Um, so I think for my younger self is, um, you know, there were some relationships that I've lost along the way. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, uh, I have some regret around that. 
um, and wish that I could go back in time to, uh, you know, follow a little bit more what people are, are up to and what they're doing. So I just think relationships are so key, especially just given how uh, traumatic COVID-19 was on so many of our of our families and uh, residents across the Commonwealth. So that's what I would tell, talk to my younger self about. Oh, very well said. For folks who are listening, Tammy, uh, who are interested, want to learn more about your campaign or get involved in your campaign, I, I just know, you know, running for office is a challenging job and you can't do it by yourself. You need people. Uh, and you need people from all, every corner of the Commonwealth. But for the folks who are listening, want to learn more, what's the best place to get yet information? Yeah, thank you so much, and thank you again for this opportunity to talk with you a little bit this morning. Uh, so you can go to my website, TammyGovea.com, and it's T-A-M-I. My parents were sort of hippies, so it's T-A-M-I. And my last name is Govea, G-O-U-V-E-I-A, V as in Victor. And uh, my last name has all the vowels, so if you're missing the U, you probably spelt it wrong, but you can go to TammyGovea.com. And uh, is, is there a phone number for you can sign up for things on your website if people want lawn signs or make a donation, whatever? Everything's on the website? Yeah, everything is on the website, yes. You can find it there, and you can reach out uh, via email at info at TammyGovea.com. We right. do check that email 20 times a day. You will not go into uh, you know a black hole uh, if you <laughs> send us a note to that uh, email address. In their last couple of minutes, Tammy, is there anything uh, in this campaign, you're crisscrossing the state, anything that surprised you or uh, was just really kind of a, a you, you paused and say, I didn't realize that? Anything really jump off the page for you? Yeah. Um, so I know this isn't in your district, but I was visiting with folks in Williamstown back in August of last year. And one of the things, and I had already been connecting with folks in Chelsea, and one of the things that was really striking to me is how homelessness manifests in both of those very, very different communities. The root causes are different, um, but what we see and what I'm hearing is that there's a lot of doubling and tripling up um, and a lot of couch surfing and a lot of just bouncing from uh, place to place or family member to family member. Um, and, again, these are very different communities, Chelsea and, again, Williamstown. And... Um, but the, the root causes are different, and the solutions will be need to be targeted uh, to what the needs are of that community. And I think it's really important that we do more of that. And I've you know done that throughout my career as a social worker, um, you know, really digging deep and finding those root causes. It's what I've done as a doctor of public health as well. Um, so I'm really ready to to get into the corner office, roll up my sleeves, and you know work uh, collaboratively with local leaders um, and experts across the Commonwealth to solve our most complex problems that we're facing right now. In, in, in our last minute, Tammy, you know, if the listeners are asking me right now, Tammy Govea, why are you the best candidate for lieutenant governor? Again, it goes back to the skills that I have developed over the last 25 years. I have uh, been an, a community advocate and an organizer, um, and organizers bring people together, and that's what we really need in the corner office and in the lieutenant governor is someone can, who can bring diverse perspectives, diverse folks all across the Commonwealth together to solve our most pressing problems um, and do that and lead from behind the scenes. You know, leadership is really about creating conditions for others to succeed, and I can't wait to do that in partnership with uh, the next governor. Tammy Govea, candidate for lieutenant governor, thank you very much for joining us today. I wish you all the best. Thank you so much. Look forward to seeing you in the building. Yes, see you soon. Thank you again.
Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Take care. Take care. Um, we're going to keep doing this for as long as we can, but I always thank Jesse for pushing our right buttons, keeping us on the air. Uh, he'll make the trivia question a little bit harder next time I'm, I'm around, but um, uh, we'll be back next week with another great show. Until then, be well, be safe, have fun, be happy. Let's all be Berkshire and take care of one another. <laughs>